Welcome to episode 28 of the Hoop Threads podcast. I'm here with Jeremy Pope, uh, coach at AZ Compass Prep Basketball. How's it going today, Jeremy? Aaron, I'm good, bro. Can't complain at all. Appreciate you for having me on your uh, high-level, high-profile podcast, bro. <laughs> That's high praise for sure. Uh, we met at the uh, the Final Four in San Antonio. Uh, that was my my first Final Four experience, too, as far as the conference goes. So a lot of learning. It, it's cool that we've been able to keep in touch, uh, you know, throughout. We've both been at different places since then, too. So that's been dope to see as well. So kind of talk about, you know, your beginnings, you know, your youth basketball experience, um, you know, growing up around the game, playing against uh, some prominent players in, in the California area. Uh like I, I kind of said before, like I got the normal ball in your crib by my dad's story. Uh, I've been playing organized ball since I was six. So I was a student athlete from the time I was six up until 22, 23. Uh, grew up in Los Angeles. I, I mean, I was born and raised in Compton, so <laughs> in Los Angeles. Uh, grew up with the likes and played against with the guys like Brandon Jennings, uh, Drew Holiday, DeMar DeRozan. <clears throat> James Harden, obviously, Clay Thompson, Paul George. Mm, Russell Westbrook's older than me. I don't, we were in high school at the same time. I just never played him. Mm. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. Uh, so, I mean, all the like, top 15. It's like so many top 15, top 20 dudes in the league that are from the area I'm from and region I grew up in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I got a pretty rich uh, – I had a pretty rich basketball experience growing up. Um and it's basically basketball has basically governed my life uh, from the time I was born until now, to be honest. I just turned 30 a few weeks back. So it's, it's been my life, basically. So mm. talk about the basketball culture in L.A. and, you know, more specifically in Compton. Like, what's it like? You know, I'm from the East Coast. I, I haven't really been out there all that much. You know, what what styles of player prevalent? Um, you know, what would a, a typical basketball player from the area look like? Uh, probably have some flash for sure. Mm. Uh, but tough. We're not too big on like playing outside. Mm. Like we do it, and I did it growing up, like playing on the blacktop. Like we did it, of course, but like that's not our thing. Like you know, we got the Drew League, which is in a gym, and then like you look at the Goodman League, or like uh, that's another one in New York, Hoops in the Sun, I think it's called, or something, something of that nature. Um, mm. Like it's outside. Like that's not our deal. Like we will play, and we did do that, but like you know, we're indoors and. Uh, you know, it's sunny and, you know, so our guys is like, like it's flash, high level skill. Uh, and I think you watch a dude from LA play, like you gonna know that he's from LA mm-hmm. and he probably gonna rep it um, really hard. So you look at the NBA, like we lead the NBA in players uh, and that's Spencer Dinwiddie, JaVale McGee, uh, like the list goes on. Even I, I think I heard Spencer say one time, like, man, like he was naming the list off and it's like, bro, like, He's technically from Los Angeles, like Southern California. Technically, is like people don't even think about him when you start naming the list, and he's really good. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, uh, it was it was great for me. Uh, but we're tough, skilled, uh, very prideful about where we're from and where we come from, mm-hmm. um, and we think like we got the best basketball in in the world, to be honest. <laughs> so that's just that's the kind of place I come from. I I really enjoy the fact that there's like different areas to say that though, you know, and I feel like each area kind of has their own claim to it. Um, as a, you know, when it comes to high school talent, you know, college talent, NBA guys, um, you went to Mayfair, right? Yeah. to Mayfair high school. Josh was our first NBA player. Yeah. Uh, Josh Christopher is probably going to be our next. (laughs) Yeah. And it's crazy because I I mean, I just turned 30. I graduated 2008 and like all my kids now, like over the last few years, like, Oh, you went to Mayfair? And they know Mayfair because of Josh, like, mm-hmm. and what social media has become and his yeah. presence on social media is like, you was a Mayfair? Like, yeah. y'all really know Mayfair because of Josh Christopher? Like, <laughs> people from Southern California and from, like, it was the Mayfair. It's like, we've been running out Division One guys and professional guys, like, yeah. for years. But I know how I go these days, so I get it. <laughs> I, I, I roll with it. I actually played with Josh's brother in high school, so it's like, okay. he was really good. So I get it. Yeah, I've, I've heard, you know, I, one of my friends that's from California said that he really represents what California ballers are, just super skilled, and a lot of flash and, you know, just just really advanced developmentally wise. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they they get upset because a lot of people are in Instagram videos and stuff like that. But but Josh can play. 
um, that, that, that dude can really play just super talented. So um, talk about, um, <clears throat> you know, you played for the same AU team, I believe, you know, coming up in the same high school team all four years. And then you played at basketball at three different levels in college. Um, so at, at the beginning you were a, a Juco um, Cerritos, I believe, right. Mm-hmm. You played at San Jose state for a year and then uh, transferred to an NAIA school in Biola university. So talk about that experience. Uh, talk about, you know, how your role changed, what did you learn from that? And, you know, how do those varying playing experience inform like your coaching style and uh, shape you as a coach? Um, I mean, I, I was playing organized ball in the slam and jam leagues from about six to nine years old, six to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, one of my best friends, his dad started a AAU team um, that was comprised of my best friends who I've been best friends with since I was five years old to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would play together from about 10 to our freshman year of high school. Um, and then from there, one of my teammates uh, that I played, one of my uh for fellow freshman teammates that I played varsity with, he uh, was playing with an AAU program called the Los Angeles Rockfish. And they were ran founded by Dave Benezra. And I was invited to a workout. And that was kind of really all she wrote, to be honest. Uh, I played with them all through high school. Um, and then from there, I obviously played at Mayfair all four years. Messed around in the classroom. Went junior college route. Went to Cerritos, all conference at Cerritos. Uh, then I ended up going to San Jose State for a year, transferred out of San Jose State, and then I finished at NIA Biola, where I played for, a, at the time, an 800-winning college coach in Dave Holmquist. Mm-hmm. So he's probably lingering around. That was, man, I'm I'm aging myself thinking about it. It's probably, <laughs> it's probably around 900 wins now, if not more, way more than that. But um so my playing days, I had fun, man. I had I, I was exposed to a lot of things. I traveled to Hawaii um, and seeing the world. And I mean, when I think about my friendships and my life, like a lot of my friendships, like are from purely from basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had a great playing career. I had fun with it. I'm at peace with it. Um, I was a point guard my whole life, so I just look at it from that lens. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember my auntie telling me one time, as far as going into coaching, like I wanted to coach really young. I don't, I don't, I don't know why I wanted to. Well, I know why I wanted to. I wanted to be around basketball forever. So mm-hmm. I think that's why. But at the time, it was more so just about like I want to call the plays all the time. I was a point guard. So mm-hmm. um, and now being in coaching, I now get to see like what it's really about as far as basically servicing these kids, mm-hmm. uh, being a servant leader and that whole deal. Um. But I remember my auntie telling me I was about seven years old. And she tells a story. I can't remember the story, but she told it. She was saying I was about seven years old. And I seen like this like nice mobile home. I always had an affinity for mobile homes. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but I see this mobile home and I said something about like, oh, it's, it's nice or something. And she said, uh, she said, oh, well, how are you going to afford it? She said, I said, well, I'm going to play for the Lakers. She said, okay, well, what if you don't play for the Lakers? I said, well, I'm going to coach them then. Mm. See, I looked her dead in her face and said, well, I'm a coach. So, I mean, I, I, I remember at a young age, I always know I want to coach. But I guess at that young age, I knew at some point I was going to stop playing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why at six or seven years old, I'm thinking about stop playing. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm basically living out like what I always hope to be doing anyway. So, Cool. That's awesome to hear. Talk about that in-between experience, <clears throat> you know, going back to school to finish up your classwork, working, working at Red Lobster, which, you know, after listening to all these podcasts, it's been a, a trending thing, but it is a really cool story to talk about, you know, kind of that in between and, you know, all the classwork and all the work that you had to put in to, to, you know, begin your dream and, you know, start on this path of uh, coaching college basketball. Well, my grandmother, she loved, number one, I started off because my grandmother loves Red Lobster. <laughs> so I, mean, I have an auntie that's five, five or six weeks older than me. And we probably grew up as siblings. Okay. So me and her would be with my grandma all the time, and uh, we always eating at Red Lobster. Mm. So throughout the years, my grandma, like as I'm getting older, my grandma's kind of she knows the managers and all this stuff. Well, cracking jokes with them. Mm. So she was joking one day and said, "Well, I think she was joking," and said <laughs> to, the, to the manager about hiring me. And uh, you know, and I'm trying to pursue overseas plan and trying to stretch my career out, and uh, didn't get anything. So I was like, "Well, I do got to start working." 
And the manager is a really good guy for number number one. He was a really good guy. Uh, and he hired me. And I ended up being at Red Lobster for three years. And it was really good for me as far as like still, it was really flexible. Um, I, I think I'm really good with, I think I'm good with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was easy and I really love food. So it worked like it worked out. Um, and then my last year at Red Lobster, I decided that I wanted to hurry up and finish up so I can kind of like really take my coaching career series to the next level. Mm-hmm. And I was at an AAU event with my Rockfish team. Um, that team had Miles Johnson, that's at Rutgers, uh, K.A. Clark, that's at Virginia. Mm-hmm. Hunter Woods was a, a preseason first-team guy in the CAA at Elon right now. And plenty of, plenty, plenty, we had seven guys, so like seven, eight divisional guys. Mm-hmm. And we were playing Team Curry, I think, in Vegas. And I'm out there like a half court, like just watching the guys get ready. And I see like the college coaches like filtering in the gym. And I'm kind of looking and I'm just like, man, I could do this. Mm-hmm. And literally in that moment, like I think there was like this, I had this transformational moment uh, that kind of just like expedited my process and wanted to get my, like my ball really rolling. And um, so I had one year of coursework to do, as I thought. Um, I, go, I go to Cal State LA. That's the first time in my life I'm not a student athlete. Mm-hmm. And uh, I end up taking five classes in the fall. I took five classes in the fall. And uh, so that was 15 credits. And then around Christmas, January, Christmas time, January time, January, I had to apply to get into my grad program at UW. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with Coach Romar's niece. Like she's one of my best friends that I grew up with. So we would go to the Washington games all the time. We would watch, if I'm at her house, we would watch Washington games on TV all the time. So I, I just had this like affinity for Washington basketball growing up. The most college basketball I've ever seen. So I'm like Nate Robinson small. I'm not the biggest guy in the world. Nate Robinson small. He's doing everything he's doing. I love him. Yeah. Uh, Will Conroy, Trey Simmons. Uh, I used to like name all the names on the NCAA March Madness game. Mm-hmm. So I had like all the rosters. So I like really knew these dudes. Yeah. And um, Coach Romar ends up getting let go. And fast forward life, Coach Hopkins ends up keeping me. Uh and that was kind of all she wrote. But in that spring, my counselor told me that I had to finish eight classes because I had to graduate by the spring because my cohort started in the summer, not in the fall. So I had to get it done. Well, she initially told me I needed seven. So I had to get signed off by the dean of the, uh, dean of the department. <laughs> my GPA wasn't the hottest. So I had to persuade him basically to sign off for it. My counselor helped me. Signed up for it. And as we're signing up, me signing me up for the seven classes, she's looking at my transcript and I needed another lab. So it turns into eight classes. So I'm taking 22 units in one semester just to get it done. So by the graces of God, I get it done. And then my summer cohort started a month after I graduated. And that was a four, that was a four class, four week deal in itself. Mm. I had taken 12 classes in a matter of like seven months, seven or eight months, something like that. Wow. Um, and yeah, and that was kind of how it all unfolded. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it worked out though, you know, talk about, you know, lining up that, that GA spot, like, you know, you said you were able to, to retain it, you know, at, when coach hop came in um, and kind of just moving, you know, for, away from everything that you know, you know, from from, from Cali to Washington. Um, talk about the experience of being a graduate assistant. Um, you know, what roles you had, what duties you had, um, what skills you either brushed up on or, or got, you know, from that experience. And then just also being there during coach's first year. Um, I'll kind of, I won't tell every single little, <laughs> but um just in the power of relationships and networking when people say it's a relationship business mm. it really is my athletic director at Cal State LA and my first and only year at Cal State LA was a man named Dr. Daryl Gross who was in his first year at Cal State LA mm. he was a Syracuse athletic director for 11 years before coming to Cal State LA mm. 
Coach Hopkins get the job, who was our Syracuse assistant for 22 years. I had a relationship with Dr. Gross. Nice. <laughs> so you you kind of imagine how that, how the thing worked out. Cool. Um, so when Coach Romar, I was initially going to work for Coach Romar. He ends up getting let go. And, you know, you start seeing the stuff on ESPN and hearing the rumors when it hits March or April about if you're getting let go or not. And at that moment, I felt like, dang, I'm, I'm really in this business. Like, I'm sitting here, like, hoping that my man don't get fired because I'm trying to, like, go get a job. <laughs> So he ends up getting let go. Um, and then that's where Dr. Gross comes in and I get one with Hop. So Hop's actually from Southern California as well. Even though he's played at Syracuse and been Syracuse coach in 22 years, he's from Southern California. Yep. Um, so I had him speak on my behalf. He took me in and it was, um, it was, it was really unique to be there in year one with Coach Hop. And I, and I always think about this. Obviously, he's going to have thousands of GAs as he goes on in his career. Mm-hmm. But no one can say that they was with him in his first year as a head coach ever mm-hmm. um, at the Power 5 level. I mean, me and my f- other fellow GAs that I did it with that year. But yeah. uh, And it was experience because I aspired to be a Division One head coach one day. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really unique and just the way God works in my life. Like, I just thought it was unique that – the timing in which I got on with him at that particular place mm-hmm. um, and being able to see him transform a program and put his, his imprint on it the way he did. We, I mean, he was coach of the year in his first year, coach of the year, his second year, first year NIT, second year NCAA tournament. Uh, and he's just a great guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he wanted his GAs, he wanted his GAs basically to be in a coaching training camp. Uh, so we were basically like, right there with an assistant coach learning every day. Cameron Dollar was 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 a guy I spent the most time with, I would say on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gave me everything he could plus some, and he still does that to this day. Uh, Will Conroy is a big brother of mine. I spent my holidays at his house. Um, and Trey Simmons is his brother-in-law. Basically he played with Trey Simmons at Washington. Nate mm-hmm. Robinson is a guy. Um, so all the Will's like best friends, Alvin Snow, who played at Eastern Washington, led Eastern Washington to their first NCAA tournament. Like all those, like they're all best friends. Mm-hmm. So just given the way and the culture and just in the culture of Seattle and the way Will and his friends are, like they basically took me in. I'm like a little brother. Like I still talk to all those guys like to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the kind of place and the blessing that I, that God placed on my life that I was around people like that. And then last but never least, like I had Dave Rice, who was head coach at UNLV for five years. He's also a Southern California guy. Um, so my my wealth of knowledge that I was getting on an everyday basis, even though I was there for a year, was really strong and really rich. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't trade that step for the world. Um, but they just t- they they more so just taught me how to work. Mm-hmm. And I always had a good sounding board because they did it at the level I want to do it at. So I can go right to them and ask like what they would think. And, and it's such in basketball, it's such a subjective thing. It's never, you have to do it this way. Yeah. Whether the way you run your program, whether what plays you call, whether what kids you can recruit. Uh, but you always are able to, well, I was always able to kind, kind of have guideposts for my thoughts and ideas mm-hmm. um, about what I want to do in the future and how I want to navigate my career, what kind of style of play I want to run. Mm-hmm. I want to have shoot around or not. And that was different. Like coach hops from Syracuse, they don't have <laughs> day shoot arounds. You get there an hour and a half for the game and you go play. Yeah. So that was something different. I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, we don't got shoot around. I'm like what? But I mean, it is what it is. Bayheim has a national championship winner. He's been there forever. Yeah. I mean, so it works. So, you know, I, I, I was really able to just have a lot of guideposts and a lot of knowledge and wisdom around me that actually really did and does care about me. Uh, Cause you hear the horror stories in this business. Uh, but I was around great people every day and they took care of me and they still do. So. What were some of the first steps that coach hop was taking to establish that program? Um, you know, as, as far as building relationships within the community. Um, I mean, my guess would be just injecting his energy into the program. I mean, if you've ever met coach Hopkins, you feel like you know Coach Hopkins after that first conversation. You know, yeah. I, I worked Coach Bayheim's camp 
for like five or six years, he wasn't really around, you know, that much. He was on the road recruiting for most of it. Um, but I saw him in Vegas, you know, probably three or four times, three or four years after the last time that I'd seen him. Hey, what's up, Aaron? How you doing? <laughs> this is really cool. He's just a really engaging guy. But, you know, talk about some of his first steps and what he taught you about, um, you know, building a program, um, you know, not from the ground up. I don't want to disrespect Coach Romar like that, but, um, you know, building a, a new identity and, you know, building a new program and, and establishing it, at least on that coast for sure. Um, it definitely let me know uh, how much goes into like having your own program. Mm -hmm. because you're such a CEO and you have your hands on everything that like you're basically saying yes or no to almost every thing that arises. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think one of the first few things he did definitely was he built a relationship with our kids because coming into it, he didn't recruit not one of those kids. Well, the freshman, obviously, but, uh, well, actually he recruited just – Not even that many of the freshmen, probably. Yeah, we had four freshmen. <laughs> Jalen Noel was a part of the, the Michael Porter class that ended up breaking up, but Jalen Noel stayed. Um, but then Nas Carter and Hamir Wright, like, those are New York City Rocks kids. Like, so they definitely only there because of Coach Hop. So, yeah. uh, and then Michael Carter third, he was – committed to San Francisco he's a Washington kid so we end up getting him as well so mm -hmm. um but all the other kids though like Noah Dickerson David Chris Matisse Stiebel like he had to recruit those kids mm -hmm. um because they could have went a lot of places so yeah. um he came in right away that was was recruiting the kids we already had in the program um and then he just I think he put a stranglehold on the community like mm -hmm. you said his, his energy is infectious I think community, the community loves Coach Romar, though. So I never, like you said, like, they love him. Mm -hmm. um, so for him to come in and have to go against the love and nurture that people have for Coach Romar yeah. <laughs> and, and make it his own, that in itself is a job. Yeah. Uh, that takes a lot of energy and a well-thought-out process. So, mm -hmm. uh, but, but, you know, coming in and putting his own imprint as far as putting his own in, because um, the defense the year before wasn't that hot. So he came in and put the zone in. Um, and it worked out really well. It worked amazing for us, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and then his 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 presence on campus, his presence in the community, uh, the whole tougher together motto. Mm -hmm. um, it just, I think it just resonated with the city of Seattle and the university itself. Uh, so I, I think those were the two things for sure that he, uh, he killed. In, in, in his first days and months there. Yeah, and I think one thing that the zone doesn't really get credit for, you know, at, at Washington and also at Syracuse is just, you know, college coaches don't play very often against zones. It's very irregular. So no. to have to game plan for an entire game to go against that, you know, change your offense, you know, add in new sets, you know, just the concepts of that. <clears throat> it's so foreign from what coaches are used to doing that it's, it's really an advantage, especially in the tournament setting, um, which is why they've, you know, they've had so much success there. Um, you know, that zone was really important. Like you said, your defense was really important for you guys that year, as far as establishing yourself, you were a big part of um, some, some really big program wins. You know, you guys beat uh, ranked teams in Kansas, uh, Arizona and Arizona state with the last two being within like three or four days of each other. Mm -hmm. um, talk about the preparation and the focus that goes into winning those games um, because those were, you know, huge wins for a program, especially in coaches first year. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll go in there and that deal and I'm wide eyed. Like we, got, we got Kansas coming up. I'm asking coach, I'm going to dollar. Like, man, Kansas play Syracuse before they play us. Don't you think that's going to help them? Like, <laughs> I'm just wide eyed. Like, you know, I mean, we play Arizona state on the Thursday, we play Arizona on a Saturday. So it was a quick turnaround. And at the end of the day, it just taught me, like, man, like, you just can't flinch. Like, you just can't flinch because, it's like, if they're going to go by like that and if you're not ready for the fight, then you're going to look up, you're going to be on the wrong end of those things. So, um, they just taught me, man, like, you got to prepare. You got to be detailed. You got to know your stuff. Um, you know, you go in the war room every day and you and you compete and you, dudes got coffees, their laptops is up, they dialed in. And, you know, if, if you relish that kind of thing, then, like, you're going you're gonna to flourish. And if you're afraid to work and grind, then it's not going to be that high for you. But yeah. uh, 
they just taught me at the end of the day, you just can't flinch, man. It is what it is. You got to go line it up. Uh, don't rack your brain trying to stop every single play that they have. Like, you, you're still a human as well. They still got to stop you too. Uh, and go in and just, and just and just do your thing. So it just taught me how to work and grind and prepare. And, uh, you know, I was in those meetings. So I know like high level conversations and what's talked about and what goes into it. And, you know, like I remember Coach Hop reading the, he was reading a pregame presser or interview or something that like one of the coaches said. And it's like, he took something that they said in, in their interview and use it as motivation for the team. I'm just like, you found that where? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so it just gets your brain thinking and, you know, to, you know, to have to do that kind of thing. And with the kids being 18 to 22 years old, they're kids. Yep. They're kids. Like you see them on TV and they're getting drafted. Like they're kids, yep. you know, so you kind of got to get their engines going sometimes. And, you know, Coach Hobb did a great job of, of, of finding ways to get their engines going. So, Talk about, um, you know, I heard a really good quote that you shared from Coach Dollar. Um, you can't be a productive guy um, and a personal guy. Talk about that quote and, you know, why it resonates and has been helpful for you. Uh, Coach Dollar is about as real as they come. Uh, he about as real as they come. So, I mean, he won national championship with UCLA in 96, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's just a real dude, man. He's been around a long time. He was a head coach at Seattle U for eight years. He was an assistant for Romar, played for Romar. Romar was an assistant at UCLA when Cam played. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's been in this business a long time. And, you know, the basketball and people's egos and prides are, and their pride is involved. And, you know, as an assistant, like, you don't get your feelings hurt. Like, you're going to have an idea that you think is great and the head coach is going to shut you down. You have an idea and he might not, like, not even hear you. Um Who's to know? So it's like, you know, you start recruiting kids and maybe they're ignoring you, but you think you at this level of place and you wonder why they're ignoring you and your feelings. And, uh, you know, so at the end of the day, it's a business. It's a networking relationship business. And to be productive at it, you can't spend too much time in your feelings. Mm. Um, so, and that's basically what he was saying. Mm-hmm. You can't like either you're going to be productive and, and produce and get the job done or you're not because you're just worried about like how dude said something to you or because his recruit didn't call you back or because you didn't get a recruit or like you don't have time to be in your feelings if you want to be in this business. <laughs> now, in, 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 and in my experience since hearing it and, and talking to him and it's not, not going to happen. Like you not, don't be, <laughs> don't be a human anymore, but at the same time, like you do like, just be mindful and quick to check yourself. Like when you had those lapses and moments when, you know, you've been a little too emotional and that whole deal, but you know, it's a production based business. Like the business itself shows you that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Cause that's the case. Coach Romar coached at Washington for the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about the next step. You know, you went from uh, being a graduate assistant there. Uh, I believe you said that, um, you know, you had a conversation with hop, and, you know, from there, uh, you were connected with uh, Coach Mack at uh, Orangeville Prep for your next step. So talk about that journey and, um, you know, talk about what you've learned and, again, moving to, to a completely new area on the East Coast. As an East Coast guy, it, it resonated with me because I haven't been much to the West Coast. So I feel like moving all the way over there would be pretty crazy. So talk about what you learned from that experience, you know, living with uh, in a new country, uh, playing with a new coach and in a very different, you know, weather and culture in, uh, in Canada. Yeah, it was much, it was very much more different than I assumed it would, it would even be. Um, but how I got there, Coach Hop, obviously Coach of Syracuse 22 years. Uh, Tony McIntyre's, one of his sons, he has seven children. <laughs> one of his sons, uh, Tyler Ennis, was a one and done at Syracuse. And uh, Tony was looking to kind of change the narrative and, the direction of the Orangeville prep program. And he wanted to bring in guys that were actually already at the college level that wanted to get some experience uh, and actually go coach. And it worked because, and me and Coach Hop's conversation after the season, telling him what I wanted to do, his advice basically was exactly what became the Orangeville prep job. He didn't say that at that moment, but go coach, hone your craft, 
recruit, learn, showcase your skills, because especially at a high level place that Orangeville Prep is, college coaches are going to be flowing in and out of our gyms all the time. They're going to get to see me coach and teach and educate young men. And that alone in itself is a business, is a job interview. Mm. So uh, I talked to Tony the first time for 45 minutes, another conversation, 45 minutes, third conversation, 45 minutes. But by the time the third conversation happened, I was already telling them that like I was, I was in. Mm. Um, I'd only missed the East coast that year in Washington. We played in the guard. We played at the garden in New York against Virginia tech and Providence in a 2k classic. Mm. Prior to that, I'd never been to the East coast ever. Like the furthest on the, on the, on the map I've been was like Alabama, but that's down in the South. So <laughs> uh, I'd never been to the Northeastern part of America. Yeah. And lo and behold, I'm ended up moving to Toronto. So I'm on a whole nother coast and a whole nother country. I'm from Southern California. Now I'm in the snow. Uh, three hour time difference to my friends and family. And, uh, you know, even the basketball, like they play FIBA rules. That was different. The food is a little bit different. Not too much crazy, but they got their, every region has their, their, their deal. So, um, but I mean, Tony McIntyre changed my life. I mean, from the way I, I view basketball and my basketball brain, how it works now, because I had to adapt to FIBA rules and, uh, you know, understanding Toronto as a place, understanding their kids, understand how to place, how they view basketball, how they're looked at in basketball. Uh, it was, it, it was life-changing. I spent two years there. It was tough leaving. Um, again, like I said, he has seven kids. So Dylan Ennis is another one of his children that played at, Dylan, Dylan played at Rice, Villanova, and Oregon. He's on the Final Four team of Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, and then their other kids are basically like my siblings. So, mm-hmm. and then not, never least, Suzette Ennis, who's his wife, like she basically adopted me. Uh, found out my mom had reached out to her on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make one of those like motherly vows to take care of me deals. And uh, like I look at like that's my, that's my I call her mommy like all her other children do. So. Um, it was great for me. I, I wouldn't change it in the world. I think it came in my life. It, it, the opportunity came into my life at a perfect time. Um, and when I remember when I was leaving, a couple of the guys that I met just from being there, like, man, like you, like you Canadian now. And that's how I wanted them to look at me prior to coming. That's how I wanted to leave. So Canada always, will always have a place in my heart. I'm going to recruit it for the rest of my life. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I do span plan to spend like just time up there just in general like I like I like the place mm-hmm. uh, so then the Raptors win the championship when I'm there so I kind of took credit for that too so a little bit. <laughs> there's actually been three professional sports teams in DC that have won a championship since I moved down here so I'm, I'm gonna take credit for those as well mm-hmm. um you know Canada is really an untapped area for talent you know I, for some reason that I still don't understand uh the scouting services in America do not rank Canadian players which lead to a lot of really underrated recruits, um, you know, coming over to, to Syracuse specifically, you know, O'Shea Brissett, uh, you know, Ennis. I, I loved watching him play when he was at Syracuse, just just played played the game just so like it should be played um, as far as moving the ball and, you know, finding the right guy, reading the defense, playing with pace. Um, talk about the, the basketball philosophy um, with Coach Mack, you know, what you learned there. I believe that was your first experience with kind of recruiting. Um, you know, scheduling, you know, talk about the different stuff that they had you doing there um, and just what that experience was like. Um, I did everything. And thing about Tony, Tony was preparing me to be um, back at the division one level as an assistant. Like that was the conversation we had prior to even me accepting the job. Like that's what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, now you speak about Canada and Toronto as an untapped deal, like selfishly, like I'd rather leave it untapped. Yeah. <laughs> selfishly. Um but, you know, being there recruiting and, and he handed me my own team to head coach as well. I was there for two years while assisting him with our Orangeville prep team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had no choice but to grow, like doing scouting reports. I've, I've done that at Washington, but um, scouting reports and recruiting the kids. And I'm from, I'm from Los Angeles. So me having to go to a new place and recruit those kids was like, okay, like let's figure this thing out. Like who's who? Like what, like, like, what is Brampton? Like, what is Mississauga? What is Scarborough? Like, what is Vaughn? Mm-hmm. Having to figure out the regions. Um, what kids play for what program? 
So, you know, it's crazy. Tony had just did a podcast with uh with, with Nima and he was kind of breaking it down. And it's like now up there, it's like Orangeville prep is bounce. Thorn Lee is kind of elite. The uh, Crothers is Northern Kings. Like mm-hmm. so to know that kind of stuff and know who's who between Shane James and Roy Russell. I mean, grassroots elite is Crestwood prep. Like mm-hmm. he has Elijah Fisher, who's one of the top kids in in the uh, in North America. So um, it's competitive, man. The OSBA, like it's, I, I, I told, I was telling, I tell a lot of people, the OSBA is up there in terms of talent on an every night basis. Like how many Division One guys are on the floor? Mm-hmm. Like it's up there with the WCAC. Mm-hmm. I ain't gonna say it's, it's, it's as it ain't like WCAC is low. It's different. I get that. I respect that. Um, Southern California basketball is the same, but I think the OSBA is up there like in terms of talent with those with those leagues in and mm-hmm. in, in regions. And I think Toronto is second in in terms of players in the NBA as well. Mm-hmm. So that alone, I mean, it can stay untapped for all I care. <laughs> but and that but that's just being selfish. But unselfishly, like I, I do hope that going forward a lot more kids get a lot more opportunities mm-hmm. um going forward. And I just hope to be the bridge that helps, you know that actually happened so yeah and that's a really important thing you know trying to be a college basketball coach one day you know getting hired you know as a college assistant before that is really the the connection to areas that you know um and that that you're building um so you know now you're at compass prep um you know a team that came into the season unranked uh, is now 13 and 0 after beating some really premier programs um in events and you know you're now a top 15 squad in america um, what's been the key to that success? And, you know, talk about the, the difficulty of you know, scheduling, practicing, and, and travel during COVID because it's been wild for sure. Yeah, I don't think we're – I mean, fortunately, we're in the state of Arizona where we probably live the most normal life than anybody else in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Georgia and South Carolina are pretty open, but, you know, as far as West Coast go, we're for sure the most open yeah state there is so everybody's been coming here since i got here to play basketball like the border league was here the grind session was here for the grind session had about three sessions here already mm-hmm. um so because of that we're, we're, we're we've been able to play and showcase who we are as a program mm-hmm. uh, compass prep is only four years old so to get the respect that we're getting now um uh, is a blessing in itself uh, but for us it's about culture um, I work for some really good people, really, really good people. And I've just been fortunate in my life from Red Lobster to Rockfish to Washington to Orangeville to here. Like I've been blessed to be working with really good people that I enjoy talking to and seeing on an everyday basis. Hmm. So given that, like they give me the autonomy to do what I do. Um, my head coach, Ed Gibson, he's from Chicago. He was a college coach. He played as well. He spent some time in L.A. playing Juco ball. Um, he played division one as well. Um, and then Pete Caffey, worldwide Pete, like he's our, our, our program director. Uh, he recruited most of these kids that are here. And, uh, you know, that's kind of just how it's, how it's been. So they, they, they treat me like a little brother. They let me do my thing. Um, you know, and I'm really happy here. Like I can't, complain they give me the autonomy to do whatever i want like i kind of lead my own development uh but in the grand scheme like we we've gotten to a point where we just say culture wins like we've we play we play dream city we play prolific um we got some games coming up there at a high level like we play in a grind session in itself which is high level um you know and our, our kids are bought in they show up our staff is cohesive um, our administration is cohesive. They support us. Mm-hmm. They really tell us no. Um, and I think that formula in itself, like we're like what's what everybody is seeing now is the byproduct of that of that formula. So yeah, gotcha. So I, I saw a sequence, you know, recently from the Bash event. There was a, a block that led to a three to one three on one break. You know, where each player touched the ball before a dunk at the end. And, you know, your, your leader, Ty Ty, was, you know, passed the ball. He didn't even dunk it, but he was he was still hype. Um, yeah. So, you know, talk about that that cohesion, the continuity, um, and just the the advantage that you guys have because you do have a great player, but you also have, you know, three or four other guys that can really put the ball in the basket. 
Yeah, we uh, – I think the thing about us, man, like we – like I'm not saying that everybody else doesn't coach their kids or that like – and that they just roll the ball out. But like we really coach our kids, man, uh, because at the same time, like we they, – they trust us because mm. they know where our hearts are. Like I live in the team house with seven of them. So I see them all the time. Like, and they know we they know what I'm about. They know why I do what I do. They know why I say things, why I say things. They know why we do these drills. They, you know, and I can show them. And I think I just have the education, um, the plan experience and the education to be able to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, even when they don't have the ear or they don't feel like hearing me sometimes. <laughs> um, so I think as a staff, like we got the energy to just hold our kids accountable all the time. Mm-hmm. And they've begun to relish in that and understand it. And, uh, you know, Ty Ty, he's a great leader. Like you said, in that block, Glenn block, Glenn Taylor blocked it. Uh, got outlated to Javon Small. He throws it to Ty Ty. Ty Ty throws it back to Javon. Javon hits Glenn Trellin, who had originally blocked it and dunked it. And Ty Ty loses his mind. And he only touched the ball one time in that whole sequence. So, like, that's the kind of team we are. Like, if you watch our kids' Instagram stories, like, it's a, their stories are filled with each other. Um, they're supporting each other. They're retweeting each other's stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like being around each other they actually really do genuinely like being around each other mm-hmm. um, you know out of their their 17 18 year old high school kids and you know you got the normal accountability stuff that goes on in the house but i'm rarely ever stopping them for fight from fighting mm-hmm. it's like great debates going on obviously like they're arguing about who's smarter between aliens and humans the other night but <laughs> um it's really about fighting they really genuinely do like each other they care for each other and even if they do get into it and practice or something like that, it's like, well, that's my brother. I can beat him up, but you can't. <laughs> and and that's just how we, that's how we function. Um, you know, and we breed confidence in our kids. They, they, Ty Ty like puts his arms around Nate Pickens neck and, and tries to lead him. He kills him, but then he picks him up and, and, and tries to help him get better. And Alden Applewhite, he's come all the way from Memphis. I mean, he just dropped his top five a few weeks ago. St. John's, Iowa State, Wake Forest, Mississippi State, mm-hmm. and Clemson. Um, Glenn Taylor, he's from Vegas. He has San Diego State, LMU, Colorado State, Cincinnati, uh, Javon Small, Grand Canyon, uh, South Alabama's recruiting him, Ball State, IUPUI, and his stuff is only getting better mm-hmm. as, as we keep on playing. So we got, we got some really talented kids that understand that they don't know it all. Mm-hmm. And I think because we have that, they and they're trusting us, and their parents and their guardians trusting us, mm. that it makes it an easy deal of what we're doing. Um, and I think they understand like success breeds opportunity. So mm. that's just what we're about, bro. Uh, Ed Gibson is one of the best leaders in high school basketball. Um, he's one of the best leaders I've worked for in my in my career. Mm. Um, man of faith but he's tough he's not afraid of confrontation with our kids and i never was but he kind of gives me assurance to like <laughs> to never be ever anyway so yeah. we, we 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 hit off each other really well um and man it's just it's been a great experience but we got some great kids we got some great human beings first and then they just happen to be really talented basketball players that listen and don't know it all yeah Yep. Yeah. And you guys definitely want all the smoke with, with the, the tournaments that, you, that you've been in and the ones that you're lined up in uh, to participate in the spring. So it'll be cool. Yeah. Though. Uh, yes, sir. Hopefully we'll link with you when, when you're out here for the, uh, for KD's joint in, uh, in January. So, um, you know, talk about your career plan and what's contributed to, to your success. You know, are you a big believer, you know, in goal setting um, what's been important for you to, to kind of lay out a plan and, and kind of stick to it? Um, I've gotten to, in this particular business, a profession to not really want to put concrete dates on things. Mm. I kind of have my heart broke. Like I've interviewed for some jobs before and thought I had them and got my heart broke. Like, okay, I'm not doing this, this time, this timestamp deal. Like that's not going to be it. Yep. Same time being at the places I've been, like those places are big time. So in a sense, it's like, I am making it. Like if I stopped and dropped my job right now, there'd be a thousand applicants trying to get my job. Mm. And it took me to understand that. And now that I do, like, I don't like to put time constraints. I obviously do. Yes. I want to be a division one assistant coach, 
Mm-hmm. The grand goal is to be a Division One head coach, mm-hmm. and however, you know, however that I have to navigate it, it's gonna be that. But yep. I don't. Do uh, I goal set? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, maybe, but at the same time, I'm just kind of one of those dudes. Like I got my mind on something, mm-hmm. but and I got to go right. Well, if I got to go left now to get there, well, I'll just go left then, and then I'll just kind of figure out as, as I go. And that's kind of how I've been doing it um, up until this point. Yeah. So I got some good people in my life. I got a good board of directors, I'll, I'll, I'll call it, um, mm-hmm. that's been in this deal a long time. And they reassured me that I'm where I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. uh, and keep being the human being that I've been. So, yeah, let, let's talk about that, too. So, you know, you've had, you know, some great mentors, just in the ones that we talked about, you know, Coach Hopkins, Coach Benezra, Coach McIntyre. Um, you know, now the, the, coach, the coach that you're working under. So talk about some of the mentors that you have in the basketball space and, you know, what they've taught you and, you know, how you're looking to, to you know, push that forward, you know, with the next generation of, of young coaches coming up. Um, obviously, Dave Benezra, Mike Hopkins, Cam Dollar, uh, Tony McIntyre. Like, obviously, they're guys, all my mentors uh, and look out for me. But just mm-hmm. my journey, what I've discovered is like Rob, Rob Lanier is a guy that I really genuinely respect. He's the head coach at Georgia State now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just his disposition and in his life and his business, uh, I aspire to like be in the realm of his disposition. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Capel is also a guy that I, I, I talk to and answer the phone when, when need be. Um there's going to be some dudes I'm missing. That's not going to like this. Uh, Amora yeah. Morgan, Amora Morgan is, is associate head coach at South Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, who I've gotten really close to, like a big brother of mine. Um, Dedrick Taylor, head coach at Cal State Fullerton, saying Brandon Dunson, who worked for Dedrick Taylor. Uh, so, I mean, I got, I, I, I have, I, I thankfully have a lot of dudes that, who care about me and want to see me succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can just bounce all my little dumb or smart ideas off of, and they can kind of guide them for me, Yeah, um, you know, going forward. But, you know, it's like, so for me and how I handle my kids and my career, it's just like, man, if I just do what I need to do for them and I'll be a servant leader for my kids, like I'm doing my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it get noticed or not, doesn't matter, but I know I'm making an imprint on my kids' lives who I have and who I'm directly uh, who I'm directly responsible for. Mm. So I've gotten to a point now, I've been doing it for a little bit. You know, the text after they enter the season, the text when they sign their scholarships, the text when they take off from home and go move into their dorm. Mm. Like I'm really relishing in or receiving that kind of stuff. So mm. and it's it's been it has been great. So I've I've had a great uh board of directors and supporters that allowed and helped me be that for my student athletes. Hmm. Talk about the importance of, you know, your kids, you know, having a role model that looks like them being, you know, an African-American coach in this space, you know, it's, it's representation is something that's becoming uh, increasingly brought to the light. Um, But, you know, that, that only needs to continue. Talk more about the importance of that. Um, and I'm sure that that's, you know, a giving back thing for you too, you know, and a lot of the coaches that you played for. Yeah, it's been, um, it's been great, especially uh, with the way of the world, obviously, as we see it uh, with police brutality and the pandemic. Uh, you know, I, I don't like to give myself a lot of credit. I still kind of don't. Cause again, I, I think I'm where I am because as much as I succeeded, I failed as I failed just as much. Mm. But and but at the same time, that's why I do think I'm good for our young men and for this for this business. Mm. Uh, but you know, kids grow up; they want to be NFL players, they want to be rappers, they want to be NBA guys. They, you know, the cool stuff, I guess. You know, and being I just turned thirty not too long ago, and being young, and I guess because I do social media, uh, like I was. I was in my mid-teen years when social media since Instagram like first started. Yeah. So I wasn't like born into it. It's just that it happened and it's still going. I can do both. Yeah. So, you know, I've had a few people like reach out and I've kind of become a mentor to some younger coaches a little bit as far as helping them and giving them advice about what they should do and how to start. 
which is crazy to me because I feel like I haven't really gone, like I haven't done a whole lot. I mean, when you look at Ahim and Coach K, they're in their 70s doing it. So it's like, you know, but I try to give as much as I can. Um, but 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 I, but I do think the role that I hold and the presence that I have in these people's lives um, do mean something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I try to go about it with the most humility that I can. And, um, you know, I, I, I give them somebody to talk about. Like I always tell them, like, when they're talking about anything in the world, like I try to hop into their conversations to give them perspective about whatever it is they're debating about. So I hopped into the alien versus human who's smarter conversation. I was a part of that conversation. Um, so just so they know, like when, when life is going on, that they can knock on my door, they can't call my phone and get like a real big brotherly conversation and not just, I'm just the basketball coach. Um, so I, 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 I take a lot of pride in me being a 30 year old African-American man that grew up where I grew up and gone through the things I've gone through and be there for them. So let's hope that, you know, even though you grew up in the LA area, that you're still on the right side of the Jordan versus Kobe debate. <laughs> I'm not sure that's one that your, your kids definitely have. I mean, you, you asked me for a reason. So you probably, <laughs> you probably got an idea where I'm leaning. But I don't disrespect it, but you got an idea where I'm leaning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As a UNC fan, you know where I'm at with that one. So, um, you know, a couple quick hitters and then we'll get out of here. So what have you been studying this offseason, you know, as far as offenses or defenses or um, the way that certain coaches recruit or evaluate talent? What, what have you been looking at, you know, when you've had all this time on your hands with, with COVID? This COVID thing was going on so long. I done ventured off in all different type of projects. <laughs> Um, but I think in general, I'm just a basketball junkie. Um, so like in my free time, I'm like, I usually have a playboard. There we go. Playboard. I use like right near me. Mm-hmm. And I'll watch a game. There's a timeout. I'm drawing something up. So I'll spend a lot of time listening to basketball immersion podcast. Mm-hmm. A lot of time. Um, uh, slapping glass podcast, mm-hmm. uh, watching their breakdown and stuff like that. Um, I'm just a basketball nerd that way. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I read a lot. You know, so I've been reading books over, I've been reading books for a long time, but yeah. I've, I've been ordered now. I caught myself ordering two or three books at a time now. So, you know, I've done a lot of time reading, just studying, trying to be better. Um, just listen to people, trying to get perspective, not necessarily steal what they do, unless I really like it, I'll steal it, but. Yeah. Again, it's just again, it's just guideposts to see what they're doing. Like you know, when I become a division one assistant, whenever God wants that to be, you know, I'm coming in adding value right away, and not just like sitting here not doing nothing, you yeah. know. So just just been really big on trying to lead my own development more than anything. Mm-hmm. To, uh, just immersing myself in like what I've always what I always done. I'm just a basketball nerd, so yeah. trying to find different ways what makes sense different actions, uh, you know, that's that type, that type of stuff. So, What's a must-read for basketball coaches, kind of break, coming off of that? Um, Cameron Dollar gave me this book, the first book and the only book he actually gave me. I think about it. Uh, <laughs> it's called uh, Leave for God's Sake. And uh, it, 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 it shook me up a little bit. Um, Book Lever God's sake, I'm actually gonna that's gonna be my Christmas gift to my head coach mm-hmm. here. Uh, so by the time this drop, he ain't gonna I, I'm just gonna have him hear it after I give him the gift. Uh and then but he actually also gave me a book called The Go Giver. And he was saying he wanted me to read because I remind some for whatever reason. Well, I kind of know the reason, but he said the the guy in the book reminded him of me. And reading it, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can see what you mean. Because at the same time, this profession is really competitive. Yeah. It's, it's really competitive. And it's and you're always asking for stuff. Like, can I get a number? Like, can I get involved with this kid? Like, can we go to this tournament? Can we do that? Like, you're always asking for stuff. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, what are you giving? Mm-hmm. And it kind of and, and shook me up a little bit as well. So that was one of the, it was a, it's, a, it's a short read. But it was one of the most impactful books I read this year, though. Um, and I just finished it maybe a month and a half ago, two months ago. So uh, I'm going to gift my head coach a, a book back and uh, 
and, and do that. So Lead for God's Sake and then The Go-Giver are two that I, I highly recommend. Haven't heard of either one of those. So those would be on my list, not for sure. I feel so adult like when I when I'm ordering books during the pandemic. That's what that's what I'm spending my money on, on Amazon. My what mom what doing like I read books. <laughs> like I got time allotments in my day to read my books. Like how old am I? Talk about uh, an underrated Twitter follow that, that most people don't know about, you know, that you go to for plays, for quotes, for insight about the game. Twitter follow. Uh. I used spend a lot of time on like hoop vision. Mm. That's what it's called. I think the guy's name is Jordan Sperber. Mm-hmm. Uh, slapping glass. Um, Cody tweets. So me and Cody Topper has a better relationship. And we kind of just send stuff like back and forth, do like Dropbox or just quick snaps out the video and stuff. So Cody also has helped me this off season. Um, so Cody's a good follow, I guess. Uh, He's a Memphis, right? Uh, yeah, uh, University uh, Memphis assistant coach. And he was the player development guy for the Suns before that. Yeah. He's not a player development guy, head coach in the Suns G League team. Uh, so he's a wealth of knowledge in itself. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but I guess I'll just say Stephen Glass and basketball emergence for now. Phil Beckner says some good stuff. Phil hmm. Beckner says a lot of good stuff that I really usually agree with. Mm-hmm. I, will, I will say, I'll say, I'll say Phil too. We know each other. We're not the we're not best East, but I do respect the, like what he said. Now he looks at player development and helping kids get better and mental aspect of things. That kind of thing. I'm going to recommend one for you. Uh, he's from the area, you know, the Finest Magazine. Um, he's you know a local magazine that covers basketball. Uh, he puts out a lot of old clips of Kobe talking about people. Uh, he puts out a lot of clips of, you know, the way that that athletes train. He covers the Washington Wizards in the area. Um, so he has a wealth of knowledge for being at the training camp all the time. So he puts out a lot of stuff that I repost. A lot of my my followers on Instagram uh, and Twitter that aren't really into basketball uh, give me a lot of grief about that, but he's got a lot of really good stuff. So we'll close it out, you know, talk about your faith and, you know, how that fits into to your coaching style. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you're not much of an F-bomb dropper, but, uh, you know, it's something I've noticed about you, though. You're very um, – I feel like you, you, you're you always, like, tumbling things over in your mind and thinking through things, especially on the sideline, and you're not, you know, a super vocal, you know, every five seconds, you know, screaming out something type of guy. You know, talk about the the role that, that your faith plays in, into that and, you know, how you lead and how you mentor these kids. Um. I think it's just the way I go about life, to be honest, Aaron. Uh, I try to stay in my lane. I try to do what I need to do. My friends, family, obviously, uh, get my time and energy. My girl gets my time and energy, but for the most part, I kind of just stay in my lane. Um, and I and I and I try to and I try to have a lot of clarity when making decisions or um, you know having an impact on whether it be a basketball game, whether it be practice. Uh, you know, so I'm not the – I'm a rah-rah guy, but at the same time, like, if we're in a run and one of our kids windmill dunks, like, I might not jump up. <laughs> I might be – like, you know, so, you know, and that's one thing I noticed about Rob Lanier one time. They had play, they were playing – I think they were playing Purdue. They are playing somebody, and the bench going crazy. I think they came back, and Rob and Coach Lanier is just sitting there like – I'm like, dang. You know, and then I started to like realize that I kind of started doing the same thing because if everybody's so emotional, somebody got to think. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm kind of just seeing it through. But overall, though, I, 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 my faith, my faith has also governed my life. I'm not naive to know that, like, by the graces of God and His mercy, that I'm where I am without Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a private Christian school from the time I was three to 13 years old, like preschool to eighth grade. I was in a private Christian school. Uh, I went to church. Uh, my family is all of Christians. Like we're we're a faith, um, and that's just how I that's how I live. Like I, I don't I try not to judge anyone. Uh, I have a, I don't go to church as much as nearly as I used to, but I do pray every day, uh, and I will say I have a personal relationship with God definitely. And without Him, I don't. The way my life has worked out and the stuff I was doing that whole year at Cal State LA and getting to go to Washington and then going and living in another country and being taken care of the way I was like, mm. man, I'm, I'm not, I'm not naive by any means to know that like by the graces of God that I wouldn't be able to live through those experiences. So 
Uh, you know, I, I, I pray to be the, the appropriate steward of the gift that the gifts that he's given me. Mm. Um, and that's really just it. So I, I pray for clarity and serenity courage. I pray the serenity courage and wisdom prayer every night. Mm. Um, so man, faith, faith is, is, is huge for me. And, um, I'm cool. nobody and nothing without him. So last question, I, I've had you on for about an hour here. So we want to, want to get you out of here, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the floor open to you. Do you have a question for me uh, that, that, that you got for me after, after spending this time together? Yeah, I don't have a question, but this is the perfect opportunity to do this. I remember when we first met, bro, we were just going to watch uh, Dana Altman do a clinic in San Antonio. Mm. So I walk on the, on the court like waiting to talk to Coach Altman. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever he was talking to leaves, and I'm walking. Here you come, and like got my attention somehow. And whatever you asked me, or like we got in a conversation. But by the time we were done, Coach Altman was gone. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> I said this dude. I was gonna match you for the next hour. Like I can't believe. <laughs> Coach Altman's down right there. I'm gonna to want to talk to this dude from the time the dang seven, the uh the thing started. He right there, and this dude Eric walks up and just, bro. I, but I don't know if you remember that, but I remember that for sure though. So, so I don't got a question, but I didn't want to put that on your mind though that that did happen. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I still have all the video clips of his clinic that day that I can send to you. I don't remember that, but it doesn't surprise me either. So apologize for that. So, all right, brother, appreciate the time. Uh, let the people know where they can find you on Twitter and uh, stuff like that. My man, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to always share and hope it, hopefully I uh, help somebody. So uh, what, what you got for Twitter though? And, and Instagram. Uh, they're both coach J at coach J Pope. Both C O A C H J P O P E. Fantastic. Appreciate the time, brother. You have a good one. Take care. Right, I'll talk to you soon. Right.